Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Advantage. I am your host, Michael Fiddle. Today is Tuesday, February 28th, and today's episode is our first NBA mailbag. Now, over the last few weeks, in very heartwarming fashion, the MFiddle14, go follow me there, Twitter handle has been growing rapidly, the Advantage listenership has been skyrocketing up, and I'm not sure exactly why that is. Maybe it's because I've been on absolute fucking heater the last month. Maybe it's because NFL's over and NBA's back, and that's my bread and butter. Maybe it's because I've been putting out a lot of good content on Twitter and the Discord recently. But either way, the result is I've been getting a lot of questions from the audience. So instead of responding to you guys individually, some of the questions overlap. Some of them are just great, great questions that I think, hey, I should be talking about this on the podcast because if X person who reaches out to me on Twitter is wondering it, he or she is probably not alone. So joining me today is our good friend of the pod, Gibby Graves. Gib, how you been? How you doing? Welcome back. It's been like a week. We've seen you like 15 times since the new year. It's been quite a pleasure. It, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be on. It's good to be back after my, uh, my own heater of Dame Lillard uh, winning the three-point contest and oh, Jason yeah. Tatum winning the MVP of the All-Star Game. True. We had you on on the pre-All-Star pod, and your picks absolutely crushed it. Um, so, Gib, the reason why I brought you on today is because I sent you all the questions that have been sent to me. I just wanted someone else on the pod with me because, one, I don't want to talk to myself the whole time and ask myself rhetorical questions that kind of make me sound like an idiot. And then, two, I figured if I just had someone else on, like the way I explain things, it might lead to a follow-up question, a, hey, this needs a little further clarification, or that was a little bit confusing. What did you mean? So like, obviously, I'm going to understand what I'm talking about. I know you are an avid sports gambler, an avid NBA gambler. I know you have all seven operators in New York that you have accounts with. So I figured you're the right person to bring on the other end of this call and kind of be able to dish me the questions and then follow up if you have any for the listeners, this is going to be about a 30-minute episode. I'm going to have Gibby ask me questions for like the next 25 minutes or so and have a little back and forth. Because this information is probably going to be dense, it's probably going to be a, lit, a little more analytical, and it's probably going to be a little more like betting heavy and gambling theory based. So for that reason, I don't want to like go too heavy on this stuff. I'd rather break it up into a few episodes and a few topics so that it's easier to digest for you guys. I've said this before on some pre-gambling theory episodes. This is the type of situation where you might want to listen twice. This is the type of stuff where like we're going to be talking about things where as a gambler, you should inherently know these things. Like when you go to a casino and you have an 11 and the blackjack dealer is showing six up front, like you are automatically doubling down. You need to know these things inherently as you approach the sports market, the sports book, the sports betting world, and the lines to know how to be the most successful. So I advise listening to this twice. Um, hopefully, me and Gibby are going to get into some good gambling theory conversation. Gib, I've sent you, what, I think 10 questions, 10 topics. Let's see how much we get through. Order doesn't matter. Give me the first one that, that, that you're interested in that I sent you. Yeah, I think I think to start off, and for, for the listeners, I think it's – I think it'd be great to start off to learn a little bit more about you before we get into the dancer stuff. So first question, how did you get into sports gambling uh, and what are some resources people can use to to start? Oh, I wish the listeners could see my face right now. I'm so mad you asked this one first. So if I was going to do this episode by myself, I was definitely not going to do this one today because like, it seems like... You know, I was thinking, do I do the episode by myself and start off with this question and do like my self bio, make myself sound cool? Like, I don't know. I didn't want to get get too into it. But this less this uh, question did come from our Twitter audience. It did come from Keith. Keith, thank you. I don't know if you're Chief Keith. I don't know if you're Mark Keith Morris. But either way, I appreciate a famous Keith listening to the pod. Um, this is a question I do get asked a lot, and and it's you know, how old are you? How long have you been doing this? Blah blah blah. How did you get into this? How are you so good at it? Like, how, where can I learn how to pick up all this stuff? Uh, I've been sports gambling for, this is my 11th season. I started when I was a freshman in college. Uh, the story goes that my mom was dating a guy who wanted to get, like, closer to me and wanted to create a bond with uh, his girlfriend's son. And so he created a sports betting online account. And, and guys, this is, like, 
This is 13 years ago. I've been doing this for 11 seasons, but I took two years off. I'll get to that in a second. I've been doing this. So this is 13 years ago now. I was a freshman in college. I was 18. I'm 31. That's how you know the, the age and everything tracks. He created a sports betting account by going to a Western Union, wiring money to like an offshore thing, and getting one of those illegal sites. It was not as straightforward as signing up for FanDuel, signing up for DraftKings. So shout out to Stuart for a quick second. He's no longer in my life. My mom is not, yeah, my mom is not dating him. Gibby, Gibby certainly knows him and has, has met him in the past. Um, he set up an online account with $500 in it. And when I would go to Baltimore, Maryland, where he lived and spend time with him and my mom, we would watch the games and we would throw 50 bucks on a given game here or there. And it was fun. It was a way to watch the games, have some increased rooting interest in a Mavericks versus Thunder game that we didn't care about. But it was the TNT game when like, you know, this is when like KD was on the Thunder with Harden and Westbrook and Ibaka and those guys. So I went back to college. I was a freshman at Elon in North Carolina. Shout out. And... I called him up one day, and I was living in a suite of eight guys, and I called him up, I said, uh, you know, I called my mom, and I said, Mom, uh, do you think Stuart would give me the account, you know, username and password on that betting account so I could do it with my friends here and watch the games and bet with them here? So he said yes. Uh, I got the information. Gib, I'm sure at that very moment, Stuart was like, this fucking money's gone. Like he he knew he just like sent me over the five hundred dollars and some freshman in college was going to start sports gambling. I guarantee he was like, all right, like at, at least Mike enjoys this. This has become something that we are, we can do together or talk about. It accomplished the goal, but I am convinced that he was like, this money's fucking toast. Anyways, I took it and I was like, I'm actually really into this. I was not right off the jump, Gib. I was going to the library tracking professional handicappers on Twitter. This is why I do my stuff on Twitter very often. It's where I started. It's the best resource as we get to that second part of the question. And I started tracking five or six professional handicappers doing everything that they were doing, having a Google Doc, tracking all of their plays. I would only take their bets if I got the exact same bet and the exact same odds. So if the line was at 2.5 and I saw it move to two, I wasn't taking it. If they posted it at minus 110 and I got the odds at minus 115, I wasn't taking it. So I had this clear formula of, okay, if I can fit, tail these guys who have win percentages of 55, 56%, anything above the 52.4% threshold that's important, then I can just follow along and not, even if I don't get all of their plays, even if I'm not getting every single one, as long as I get enough with the same odds, my hit rate amongst those should be relatively the same. So I built that account up, no parlays, no crazy long shots, just strict bankroll management, tailing professionals as a freshman in college, going to the library and studying what professional cappers were doing. I took that account from $500 to $18,000 very quickly. And that's when I was realized like, oh shit, like I kind of know what I'm doing here. Stuart looked at the account and he was like, you know, mind blown as to what had happened. Stuart and my mom eventually broke up. I never talked to Stuart after that moment. I thought it would be out of bounds. I certainly didn't bring up this sports betting account. So I also kind of convinced that that account is probably still sitting there with $18,000 in it. And Stuart probably hasn't checked it himself either. But, um, yeah, that's how I got into this space. And then once I was really good, I then started doing it on my own, realizing that I, you know, I have the juice to do this. Uh, started capping and, and following this vehemently, signing up for things like Action Network, Odd Shark, uh, different, you know, handicappers on Twitter, reading books, watching YouTube videos of guys like Haralabob, Bob Volgaris. He was the professional gambler that the Mavericks ended up hiring, saying, okay, if you can figure out from a gambling angle why teams are winning, we're going to hire you and help us win more using those metrics. So Haralabob was part of the guys that drafted Luka Doncic for the Mavericks, and he's now no longer working for them. He owns a professional soccer team, but he was a NBA gambler followed heavily. Guys like Raheem Palmer, shout out Raheem. I think we're going to have Raheem himself on the podcast in the next coming weeks. That would be really exciting. Um, Warren Sharp for the NFL, he releases a book before every season, that's like 500 pages that explains matchups that he's targeting, specific metrics for that season that he thinks are more important, schedule breakdown. So I was reading, watching, following along with all of these professionals, and that allowed me to pick up their tricks 
and then start being able to do it myself. In terms of resources, when I started, the resources were really like, you got to like, it was almost like playing a guitar gib and I just played the guitar enough myself until I realized how to do it. Um, now you can go find online courses about how to become a better gambler. You could take statistics classes. You can find so many outlets doing gambling lessons. Uh, I don't really have one because I learned all of that stuff before getting into this space that I think is best. I would just say find a series of professional gamblers that you trust and start watching everything that they're doing and sit back and observe for six months to a year and then, and then you know, take notes, see what you learn and then start to build it up yourself and see what, how you do. Yeah, I, I, just to second that point, I think there are a lot of resources, free and paid resources out there to help you get started. Uh, I use YouTube a lot and I use Action Sports, which I pay for, um, for professional advice on, on sports betting. So just seconding what you're, what you're saying there. Um, kind of picking back on resources that we talked about, uh, one question we have here is, what websites do you use to track opening and closing lines embedding splits that are coming in okay this is the one this is the one question i was hoping you would ask out of the 10 that i sent you gib because this is one that i often get because when i do my write-ups i'm constantly writing this line opened at x this line's closing here i have this amount of plus clv we're seeing x amount of money come in on this side uh we're seeing the total bet under blah 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 blah, blah. a lot of my information comes from opening and closing lines and betting splits betting splits are just so you guys know, opening line is, hey, what did this line open at? What was the first line posted on the board? Closing line is, what is this game at right before it kicks off, tips off, whatever, so the game starts, what's the closing line? So opening line, when the bet is first posted by FanDuel or whatever operator you're using. Closing line, if the game's starting at 7 o'clock, it's what's the line at 6.59.59. So those, the betting splits are how many bets are on one side of the board versus how much money is on another. So you might see 50% of the bets on both sides of the board, but you might see one line, let's say the um, Raptors and Bulls are playing tonight. So you're going to say 50% of bets are on both sides, but the Raptors side has 65% of the money. So then you're understanding the splits to say, okay, there's more money on the Raptors, which means the line is more likely to move towards the Raptors. So to, to move from the opening line of minus four, it would tick to minus 4.5. It would tick to minus five where it's at now because the book is trying to bring in more Chicago betters to the market. They're trying to say, we've gotten a large handle on Toronto. We want to even our exposure so that we could take even cuts on both sides. Sometimes that's how the sports book operates, not always, but that's the basic premise of what they do. And then you are using betting splits and opening and closing lines to understand the direction a line is moving, where the money's coming in, and where the indicators are for that game as to where the sharps in the market are sitting. And you want to swim in their water, sit at the table with them, whatever expression you want to use. You want to position yourself with the side that the house and the gambling is taking and the side that the sharps are taking. So you want to fade the public is often what I say. And to do this, the best places, the premier number one website to track all of opening, closing, and line movements and betting splits is a thing called Don Best. D-O-N-B-E-S-T. Don Best. It costs $500 a month. It is a premium, high-level paid uh, program and data analytics and that updates to the freaking second like the stock market does. And it is, again, called Don Best, $500 a month. I only recommend getting Don Best if your unit size is about 250 a month because then every two units you win each month covers your monthly expenses. And then ideally you should be taking home a little bit more than that to be profitable. But you don't want to make sure all of your profit if you're only betting, you know, $50 a unit and you're maybe you win 10 units in a month then all of that goes to paying for your for your uh, Membership to Don best. So if you don't have that level of unit and gambling and bankroll then look at things like odd shark Gibby mentioned action network. There's VSIN VSIN. These all show opening and closing lines. They give estimates for betting splits. I do not trust Let me say this slowly I do not trust the betting splits that come in 
from the free services. I often find that the free services like Action Network, when they're reporting the, the percent of money on the over versus the percent of money on the under, they are doing that from user bets who pay for Action memberships and self-submit what they are on. They are not actually getting data from the sports book. They are regurgitating their own user data from like, I don't know who actually puts their own bets in Action Network, probably low-level public bettors, right? The Sharps are not entering their bets into Action unless they have a, you know, a large following in Actions like what I use Twitter for, where it's, you know, they're using it to advertise themselves as a capper. So for that reason, in terms of betting splits, FanDuel will actually provide them themselves. You can go to FanDuel. You can click on the NBA tab. You can see where all the games are. And under each game, there's a little drop-down thing that says the word stats on it. So you can click stats, and you will see it will give you the percent of bets and the percent of money on one side. That information is super telling. It helps you build the story of what's happening in the market. It helps explain to you the line movement. It helps to say, is this line movement because of public action? Because there's 77% of bets and 80% of money? That's a huge public game. Could it be reverse line movement where there's 40% of bets and 60% of the money to know that, okay, this is avoiding the public, that this is a, a, a big sharp situation on that one side. So you're, you're using the splits to help formulate the story. That's why we call these indicators. They indicate to you as the better what's happening in the market. And we use that data and you, you stick with this, you do this time and time again, you start building the narrative of how to read the market. And then that's how you know about where to place your bet. So to reiterate, the best one is Don Best. The free ones are Odd Shark, VSIN, and Action Network, and uh, betting splits most reliably from a free perspective is on FanDuel, which only offers uh, game lines. They don't do it on totals. So for me and your, my write-ups, you will not see me quoting splits for totals. You'll often see me quoting it for spreads. Uh, we should the the pod should be sponsored by Don Betts the amount that you're you're giving them love so they should give give money to the the pod even though uh, they currently aren't but one follow up question there fit um, you you mentioned the public fading the public uh, sharp action I, I think like I understand it a little bit but I think it's good if you explain why does that stuff matter what is it about what do you use that information and how does that impact your sports betting. Great. Okay, let me ask you a follow-up question, Gib. If you were going to bet on something, would you rather be mm -hmm. on the one side that has 10 people betting $1,000, or would you rather be on the side with 1,000 people betting $10? The people who are betting $1,000. Exactly. Right? So, yes. So, by following the money instead of the volume – Volume typically comes from the public who are betting $22 to win 20, 55 to win 50. You know, these smaller bets, this smaller handle, this higher volume is coming from the public. When on the other end is the sharps, which are these betting groups, these betting syndicates, these people who are experts in the market who are actually doing this long enough to make a profit, not to just get some entertainment value in it, not because they're going to the game with their kids and they want to throw 100 bucks on the Hawks. You know, they're like, We've studied the Hawks' metrics and their defensive statistics and the fact that they're bringing in a new coach in Quinn Snyder and the way he ran his offense in Utah, blah, 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 blah. And that means I want to put $10,000 on this line here. So when I say splits, where's the money, where's the volume, I'm analyzing because I want to be with the people who bet high exposure, who bet tons of money because those people generally know more. They know way more than I do. Like, for example, yesterday, Gib, we had the Knicks-Celtics line open at Knicks plus five. This line was absolutely hammered on the Knicks side. It dropped down to minus 2.5. And then what comes out in the news? Jalen Brown out for personal reasons. These sharp groups who are betting tons of money, like tens of thousands of dollars, who are maxing out lines consistently, who are getting to the limits. Hey, the limit is $10,000 when the line's posted and $50,000, you know, an hour before the game. They're betting $10,000 right away and $50,000 again later, right? So they're repopping lines once they've reached the limit. Um, so for those reasons, like, we need to understand that they know so much more than us. Like, we've lost that fight. This is David versus Goliath here. Like, we 
I accept they know more than I do. So what I'm trying to do is use the market to find where they are and then position myself with them. I don't do this based on my own takes. You don't hear me saying, you know, James Harden was snubbed in the All-Star game. So take his over on points props because he's coming out mad. Like, I don't fucking know that James Harden's mad. He could have had a beautiful vacation over All-Star week. He could have watched the All-Star game and realized that it was an absolute shit show and that there was no point of him being there. He could have had a really nice massage, a cocktail on the beach, some great company, some good relaxation, and then gone back and been really happy entering the last quarter of the season that he got some time off and actually didn't make the all-star game so you won't hear me saying being you know betting psychologist and saying i think this because of this like i think i think what i'm saying is i see i'm reading the only thing i'll think is i think this line is going to move further i'm not i'm not you know i'm not i'm doing this unemotionally and based on lines and value and finding the sharps i think that's super helpful uh explanation uh, so let's move to some of the other questions that we have, uh, and this will be more about what you actually use uh, in your bets and how uh, you structure your bets. So looking at your uh, bankroll management, uh, how big are your units, um, and how do you handle using multiple sports books to determine the unit size? Okay, we can also get your opinion on here because you have seven sports books yourself, as we've discussed yeah. on this pod already. Um, so the question that I get asked the most, Gib, you would see in my DMs, people be sliding into my DMs. I wish they were um, female instead of male. They're all male. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> um, so the people sliding into my DMs always ask me, hey, how much do you bet? Like, what are, what's your bet? And I understand that, like, that's the juicy information you guys want to know. Am I betting, you know, $6 to win five? Am I w- betting... You know, fifty to win, fifty-five to win fifty. Am I betting one hundred ten to win hundred? Am I betting a thousand and one hundred to win a thousand? Am I betting ten thousand dollars? We're gonna keep that a little bit of a secret here. I don't feel like I need to say that. However, I always respond to that question and say, instead of telling you the actual amount that I'm betting, I'll do you one better, and I'll tell you that my units are one point two percent of my total bankroll. So, I add up all of the money across all of my sports books, right? So that's how I use multiple sports books in determining my unit size. They are all one collective bankroll. If I have $1,000 in FanDuel and $1,000 in DraftKings, my bankroll is 2,000 that I should work off of for a 1.2%. So I calculate a 1.2% and that is my unit size. It keeps my exposure low. It keeps my risk level low. It allows my volume to be fairly high. It allows me to, you know, invest in a good bit in the futures market. I don't need too much liquidity in my available balance. And then the way I do it, Gib, this is what's really important. Once you have 1.2% of your bankroll as your unit size, you start winning or losing and you start scaling up once you win. If you lose, so Gib, if your unit size is 1.2%, then you have 83 units to lose before you go broke, right? Because 83 times 1.2 equals 100%, right? Following me? Follow you. Okay. So you can lose 83 units before you go broke. And what I'm always trying to do, the game that I play with myself, that sounded, pause. Okay. The game that I'm playing against myself is can I reach plus five units before I reach minus 83. And so if I gain five units and I gain five units at 1.2%, that is equivalent to increasing my bankroll by 6%. Still following me? I'm following. Okay, so if I increase my bankroll by 6%, then I recalculate my 1.2% bankroll and I start the game over. So I'm constantly scaling up the amount that I'm betting corresponding to how much I am winning, I never, ever, ever decrease my unit size once I start losing. If I lose 6% of my account, I am not going to lower my bet because I have the wiggle room that I could still lose 83 units and I just need to then go back to break even and get to plus five before I start this game over. And I tell people who are sports betting, if you increase your unit size and you end up losing 83 units and you end up losing all of your money, Stop fucking gambling. However, I have never lost the game of am I going to go minus 83 before I go plus five? 
I've gone plus five every time for 11 seasons now across NFL and NBA. I've never not been profitable. I've never lost my entire bankroll because that is how I approach bankroll management and unit distribution. Me and you have a different philosophy here um, on how we bet, but it's really interesting to hear how, how you do it uh, and, and each, each size of each of your, each of your units. Um, can, I, can I say one more thing? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. The, 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 the caveat question that I get asked off that is how do you deal with your futures wages, right? So, so like say I have, you know, uh, Pelicans to win the NBA title right now or uh, Spencer Dinwiddie sixth man of the year or Milwaukee Bucks to win the NBA title, right? So I have a bunch of futures in my pending balance and if I'm calculating my entire pending balance to determine my unit size, I need to know how much of that is tied up in the futures market and the big, big, you know, double star, highlight, bold, underline this. You need to know how much of your pending futures tickets are DOA, who are dead on site, on scene right now. Like my Dinwiddie to win sixth man of the year is fucking toast. It's done. It's not happening. It's, it's lost money. So I need to reduce that from my bankroll even though it's technically still a pending wager and it's not going to be reduced from my account until someone else wins six man of the year, probably Brogdon right now. But I need to know, do not consider that part of your bankroll because there's no chance that he's winning. On the flip side of that, the Milwaukee Bucks look like they could win the NBA Finals. Maybe I've even gained a little value on the ticket. I'm considering that just pending. I'm not considering it a win. I'm not considering it a loss. I'm not considering the plus value I've gained. I'm just considering that is still pending. That is still part of my total bankroll because that ticket is still alive. But I have an awareness of how much of my futures are DOA. They're dead. They're gone. And so for that reason, when you have multiple sports books, it's hard to track all of this and know all the time. You really want to have like a Google sheet, a Google doc of all of your bets tracked through all of your sites and just like know where they're placed, but have being able to sum total and use like a formula on a Google doc or an Excel sheet to be able to know and calculate all this stuff. So if you do not have that and you're listening to this podcast, reach out to me on Twitter at mfiddle14 and I will get you a duplicate copy of a uh, Google tracking sheet. Um, following up on that, you're talking about future bets there. In your, in your portfolio um, or in your, in your um, bets right now, what, what percent um, are in future bets versus a, a bet that's going on on a daily basis? So I th- let me let me get your reaction to this. Gib, on a given moment, about fifty percent of my bankroll is tied up in futures. What's your reaction? Do you think that's high or 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 not high? I think that's um, high. I, well, for me, it's high. Um, okay. um, so I'm a little surprised yeah. by that answer. But why why fifty percent? Okay, fifty percent for me because one, I only bet NBA and NFL, so I don't have the impending. I don't have crazy high volume at any time. The highest volume that I have is an NFL Sunday that overlaps with an NBA Sunday as well, which happens certainly a few times in that fall winter months. But for the most part, we have NBA happening now and then we have NFL happening, you know, in the summer and then through through the early, you know, fall winter and wrapping up before NBA gets too heated up again. So for that reason, like let's use right now as a perfect example. NFL futures just cashed, right? My futures exposure in the NFL market right now is like one or two bets. Like I think I took the Titans at 75 to one next year for the uh, for the Super Bowl, and that's really it. I, I, I took the Saints too because I thought those two teams have long shot odds and could be buyers in the market and then you know get better odds. But I was like, you know what? I don't need to get too invested in NFL, NFL, NFL futures right now because the calendar year hasn't even started. It starts March 15th. So we're still in last season's NFL calendar year. So I don't have any futures right now. So for that reason, I'm only betting NBA games on a fairly nightly basis. And because when I bet NBA games, they're pretty high volume but low exposure. We might have four, five, six bets a night. I think tonight I have like nine bets themselves, but they're all half units, three quarters of a units because NBA lines are coming and going within 20, 24 to 48 hours. You don't have the amount of information, line movement, 
gambling trends, ability to watch the market for, for seeing what's happening. So I keep my exposure a little bit lessened, even though my volume is inherently higher because you have 82 NBA games, you have 17 NFL games, you're inherently gonna have a higher volume of NBA plays, but less exposure because you have less time between to study the market and get on the right side, like that's how we position ourselves. So for that reason, let's say I have nine bets tonight, but they're you know, all roughly half unit bets. That's about five units that I'm putting into the market, which is 6% of my account. I don't need a lot of liquidity in my account right now. I could invest, and I actually think right now is a great time to target NBA futures because they're going to cash out before we really need that money. They're going to cash out in June before NFL season gets too hot, before we're studying the NFL summer with free agency, knowing what trades happen, knowing where the quarterback carousel is spinning, knowing where the schedule comes out. So we are not going to start betting NFL futures until after NBA futures still cash. So for that reason, Gib, like I went in and put a six units on Victor Wembanyama to be the first pick in the NFL and the NBA draft for a 0.1 tenth of a unit payout because I don't need I don't need the available funds right now. I invested into Joe Missoula to be coach of the year at plus 160 last week because I thought I really liked the Celtics at minus 175 to be the number one seed. And if I like the Celtics at minus, minus 175, you could essentially play the coach of the year, which is the same angle. If they get the number one seed, they're probably going to have the coach of the year. So you get the plus 160 instead of the minus 175. Obviously, that's a great way of escalating a similar bet and storyline. So that's what I did in the futures market. So uh, I can I invested in Lori Marketing in the in the most improved. We see SGA now sitting game. So I, this is a great time to start investing heavily into the NBA futures market. And when those tickets start to cash, of course, my handle in the futures market will go down. But then I'll start adding uh, NFL futures. And pretty much it's always around 50% because I only bet two sports and I don't need a lot of uh, available balance. There are days, there are times and early in the NBA season, I do have to be careful about how many futures I'm putting in because I, you might have 10 bets for an NFL Sunday that are all one unit. You might have six, seven bets in the NBA that are all three quarters of a unit. And there you're betting, you know, 20% of your bankroll on a given Sunday. And on that reason, just because of variance, if you have one bad day, you can lose, you know, 15% of your bankroll if you have 20% exposure and you just get crushed that day. For those reasons, in that stretch of the season, in those few fall months, it's important to have available pending balance. But around this time or early in the NFL season, I don't really need it. So I can invest heavily into futures if I like the angle. Got it. Uh, last two questions, just to keep track of time, uh, will we'll be about odds. So you you mentioned you you mentioned your Wembenyama um, bet to go first overall seems like a wild favorite. I don't know what would ever make him not go number one. Maybe a two torn Achilles. Um, but based on like if it's minus six thousand to go the first pick, you know, is there a point where odds are not worth it? Uh, you think there's just like it's you know if it's minus six thousand, you need six units to win point one. Or is that not? Is there not a, a a point where you think it's not worth it? Okay, so I'm going to break a cardinal rule of podcasting and tell you explain something I would like to show you guys, but talk about it without you guys being able to see it. Uh, the first thing that you need to know about odds is the ability to calculate implied probability. So, Gib, if you have a minus six thousand line, I can tell you within two seconds that that carries a ninety-eight point three six implied probability and implied probability does not mean the chance the bet has to win the bet implied probability indicates the amount and the hit rate that you would need at those odds to be break even if you always took that bet does that make sense yeah so that's why on a minus 110 line raptors plus four raptors minus four bulls plus four that inherently has a 50 50 odds right because that's what they that's what the book said it at 
But since it's priced at minus 110, you actually need to hit that at a 52.38% rate to break even. That's why you always say you need 52.4 or more to be profitable as an NBA gambler. So when we see minus 6,000, we immediately know that's a 98.36 implied probability. The way to calculate implied probability is um, the odds, so minus 6,000, divided by the odds plus 100, multiply that entire number by 100%. So reach out to me on Twitter if you want me to just send you the formula. You can also go on Google and just look up an implied probability calculator. But then it comes down to, okay, is there ever a point where the odds wouldn't be worth it? The real question we're asking ourselves, Gib, is, is the chance that Victor Wembanyama gets drafted number one higher than 98.36% chance? So do you want to answer that? Do you think it's higher than 98.36? I think it's 99.9%. Okay, and to, and to speak to your point, the only way that that Wembenyama doesn't go number one is if he blows two Achilles. Gib, if he blows two Achilles, he's not even going to be in this draft. He'll wait a draft, right? He'll wait two drafts or whatever, and that that bet will be void. If he doesn't come to the NBA, the bet will be void. It won't pay. It, you won't lose it. It just won't pay out. It feels like an absolute. I don't say the word lock. It feels like damn near a lock. It feels like one of those locks that can be picked, but it's pretty damn secure. So. Um, I got in on that bet, especially when Victor came out and said, like, there was some rumblings in the Wembenyama uh, market that he was going to be potentially the first player who could, like, Eli Manning himself and refuse to go to a team who drafts number one. And then Windhorse came back from, like, All-Star break when he went over to France and spent time with Wembenyama. And one of the quotes from Windy and Jonathan Gavoni, who came out with that piece, uh, said, Wembanyama was quoted saying he firmly believes that any situation will be a good situation for him. He did not give a preference as to any of which of the bottom four teams, San Antonio, Charlotte, Houston, Detroit. He prefers that he is okay with all of them. So when I heard that, I was like, okay, you heard it from the horse's mouth himself. He's not going to, you know, bully his way to a different situation. If there's anything that causes him not to be number one pick, it probably means he's just not in this draft altogether, which means the bet is void. So I, I agree. The odds to me seemed 99% plus. And I saw I have a clear positive expected value in my percent of, of likely outcome compared to the implied probability of the bet. And for that reason, I got in on the bet. There is no point in which the odds... I would say are not worth it if you feel the expected value of the bet exceeds the implied probability. And the last question I have, which is near and dear to my heart, is about boosted odds. Oh, um, I love I boosted odds. Um, it's a big part of how I bet, but wanted to ask you, are boosted odds worth taking and what are your thoughts on boosted odds? So... We could do both of our opinions for this one. Um, boosted odds, I think, are sometimes worth taking. I think they you obviously need to evaluate them on a case-by-case -case basis. Give, me and you were talking about this yesterday with the free bets that they give you. And, like, I see people so incentivized to do parlays when uh, FanDuel gives you, like, a $100 free bet. Because I asked you, I was like, hey, when, when they do that, do you get the, the $100 back inherently? Or do they, like, if you bet on a minus 500 line, $100 to win 20, do they give you 120 back or do they just give you the 20 that you win? And you're like, no, they just give you the 20 that you win, which to me explained, okay, that's why so many people, when they get a free bet, they try and stack together a crazy parlay and just bring home a big winning. Okay, I understand that. It's definitely not what I would do. It's definitely not how I would play free bets. I would just take straight minus 110 lines and try and bring home $91. Um, but that, let's get back to the point. Are boosted odds worth it? Free bets, are, free bets are obviously worth it. That's not boosted odds. Sorry. Are boosted odds bets worth it? On a, situ on a situational basis, um, yes. And in other instances, no. Um, my general rule of thumb, and this is not a end-all, be-all, but my general rule of thumb with this is if you get to choose which lines you are taking 
to then get those odds boosted, then yes, it is worth it because you can study the market and understand where the sharps are. You could do all of the things, understand the splits, the market trends, the opening and closing lines. You can do all of the things that we normally do to handicap a line and then get the odds boosted. So yes, in those instances, I would say it's worth it. However, the ones that scare me, the ones that particularly scare me off are the ones that they build the parlay for you. They build the they build the 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 grouping of three or four lines or these two players to score 30 points and they're going to boost it from plus 100 to plus 150. So like let's just give a random example and say the Celtics are playing against the Bucks and they're going to be boosted odds that Tatum and Giannis both score 30 and it would be a minus, you know, uh it would be a plus 100, but instead they're going to boost it to plus 150, right? In those cases, I generally say no, it is not worth taking, but it is definitely worth understanding because these websites build boosted odds going against the sharp angle. So they want, they're boosting Tatum and Giannis's points likely in a game where it's sharp towards the under, and you've seen the movement in the total go from 220 down to 216, and we think this is going to be a lesser scoring game, so they're boosting player props towards the over. So in those situations, when you can understand what's happening in the market and compare it to the direction of the boost, they're generally not worth it because time and time again, they will boost the opposite angle of the sharp angle. So when they build the boost for you, I'm skeptical. When they allow you to build the boost yourself and you can go study the market and then pick off which odds that you want to boost, I am more inviting to them. Gib, how do you approach the boost? Oh, last <laughs> thing. And we might as well mention this because you were the guy on me discussing this for the Super Bowl. If you can boost odds on one site and then go to another site and take the exact opposite line and lock in yourself profit. Say they boost Tatum to score 35 points, boosted to plus 200. And then you can go on DraftKings, say that that boost is on FanDuel, you can then go on DraftKings and get the alt spread for for Tatum's points under 35 at minus 175. So you have a plus 200 and a minus 175. In that case... Of course the boost is worth it because you can start to pin lines against each other at different operators and lock in a profit. Those are obviously worth it to the point where you would max out the amount that you're allowed to boost. So they uh, they often limit your boost to 25 or $50. If you can pin operators against each other, you bet the whole $50 in one place and then you hedge it on the other side, you lock in profit. You're going to you're not going to get that much profit, but if you could take home 6-7 bucks from it, you do it automatically. And I think that is smarter. This would be a good opinion for, to get on you, Gib. Would you rather pin odds against each other or just take boosted odds and let it ride for a big payout? You'd um, rather pin the Tatum line against each other or just hope Tatum hits it and get a bigger payout? I think the smart. The, I, I think you have the smarter route. To me, it's more fun to to roll with like the the boosted odds and hope for it to win. That's how I like to like enjoy games. Um, I think I'm, I'm I'm pretty on board with how you mentioned like uh boosted odds uh i am always skeptical of parlays that they put together or the books put together that i have to bet on unless i'm seeing the odds boost is something kind of crazy like if it goes from minus 110 to like plus 250 which i've never seen but i'm saying if it does that kind of flip then i will oh then i'll then i'll take it uh and then and let it ride a couple other points there some of the operators, and we're talking about multiple operators here, like, and this typically happens with me with Caesars um, versus DraftKings and, and FanDuel, they'll put together like odds boost or call it boosted odds. And then I put that exact bet in on FanDuel or DraftKings, and it'll still be lower than the odds that FanDuel or DraftKings will give you. And so, therefore, it's not actually a boosted odds. I don't even know how this happened, how they're calling it boosted odds. Um, but you should always check uh, across the different operators to make sure that you're actually getting boosted odds. Give. I used to tell my mom used to own a clothing store, and I used to ask her all the time, Mom, why don't we just mark up everything 10% and then put on a big sign on the wall that says 10% sale? And then it's essentially – there's actually no sale going on. So I think that's kind of like the uh, trickery that you're you're alluding to, that these they might tilt the lines themselves and then advertise them as boosted when they're really not boosted at all. That's a good point. Definitely check for that. 
Snakes and in the, the grass, the, AD would say. Yeah. Yeah. And the second the second one is because I do a lot of these boosted odds where I like to play with them. They on DraftKings, they used to offer the more legs in a parlay, the bigger the boosted odds, right? So if you did an eight plus leg parlay, you got a hundred percent boosted odds. But if you did like three leg, it was twenty percent. And I was the I was the idiot who was every time putting eight leg. I want my max boost. <laughs> and with the max boost, but they also, then they're also like the the lowest uh, odd you can take are minus three hundred. Right, so right. you can't do minus ten thousand. Like you can't right. have Jason Tatum to score two points. Right, um, and so therefore you're putting eight, like minus three hundred or more odds. The chances that that hits is so low uh, that, like, I would always say, stay away from that. Uh, I did that. I probably did that like ten times, thinking it was going to hit. Never did, uh, unless like I, I don't know anyone who would like consistently. Hit those. So I would stay away from those. But uh, yeah, that's kind of my take on uh, on on the pack of your uh, boosted odds ticks. Gib, can I tell you the um, the math behind eight leg parlays before we get out of here? Yeah, and I was, the last question I would say is like, tell us why you don't love parlay. What is it against your thing against parlays? There, it's, it's not my thing. It's a well, my thing is that parlay is a curse word. So we're gonna bleep out. <laughs> Every time this comes up, like parlay is is equivalent to you know some some slanderous vocabulary in other cultures. So um, in the in the gambling culture, parlay curse word. Um, the reason why I hate parlays, and we'll stick with just explaining this: the difference between a two leg parlay and an eight leg parlay. Gib, when you put in a two leg parlay at standard odds. At, assuming everything's a minus 110 leg that you're putting in, of course, it's going to change a little bit if you're taking minus 300 and a minus 175. But if, if you're taking minus 110 legs, then you get a – on a two-leg parlay, you get a 2.6x multiplier on the payout. Bet 100, win 260. Right? Following me? Yeah. There are three possible outcomes of events that happen in a two-leg parlay. So you get 2.6x, but you deserve – 3x, right? Mm -hmm. So now this multiplies. The reason why they're giving you a bigger boost as you keep going is because this multiplies more and more. When you get to an eight-leg parlay and you put them in at standard odds at minus 110, your payout is 176x on the multiplier. So when you look in and you put in you know, uh, a $10 bet, and it's saying to win 1760 and you're like, I, 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 I could really all see all of this happening. Oh, my God. I think I'm going to get it. Blah, 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 blah. In real life, IRL for all you folks, there are 255 possible outcome combinations. So you are putting in a bet where you're getting 176 times the payout, but you deserve 255 because really you're hoping for the one out of 255 series of events to happen for you to actually cash the parlay. You know what I'm saying? There's different outcome combinations. You need the exact one of the 255 possible combinations to win your parlay, but you get 176x payout. You deserve more. You are always losing money as the multiplier increases in a parlay you are actually losing more value the more the multiplier the worse the value i wish people could understand that it is part of the reason why i got into creating such sports gambling content gib because i've been creating content for a year however almost a year it's coming up on that in, in almost 11 months right now but i've been sports betting for 11 years and as Increased legalization as, you know, it's been published everywhere as FanDuel and DraftKings are sponsoring everything. There's a million commercials. You see everyone now getting into the market. You see so many people being trapped by the parlay, being suckered in. You see these these, com these companies, these, you know, guys who hit one big one on Reddit and post it and they get so much love. There is so much misinformation in the sports gambling world telling people to do parlays. You definitely should not build a parlay if you're trying to build a bankroll. You might hit big once. If you hit big once, pat yourself on the back and stop doing it, right? Like, like it's not going to work out in the long run. Um, DraftKings had a um, 
like an earnings phone call with their investors and and some and some like the recording came out and there was like some like uh, sports business journalist re- reporting on it. DraftKings makes five percent cut for every straight bet that people make. They make a thirty percent cut for every parlay that people make. So that tells you all you need to know. If you want to donate your money to DraftKings, play parlays. Gib, I'm going to cut us off there. This was a great conversation. I appreciate you being the other end on the voice for me because you understand. You can ask some follow-ups. You can give us some of your implicit knowledge yourself. I appreciate you being here. I I strongly advise that people listen to parts of this episode twice. Um, If you have any questions that you want to add to the mailbag, this is going to be an ongoing process. Maybe Gibby will be on the next one. Um, Please send them to me at mfiddle14. I will add them to our growing list of questions and we will do another 30 or 40 minutes next time. But this one went a little longer, but it was good. It was a great conversation. Um, 10 minutes of it was me talking about myself, which is irrelevant. And um, we will add them to the list of growing questions and we will get to them as the mailbag episodes continue. Moving forward for the next few weeks, I am going to continue releasing an episode Wednesday night into Thursday morning, breaking down the Thursday TNT and NBA betting slate, and I will try and start doing a mailbag Monday type of stuff for the next few weeks as we work through these questions. Thank you guys for tuning in. Appreciate all the love I've been getting recently. We've been on a fucking heater. Let's hope it continues. As always, peace out. Thanks, Gib. 